Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of The Brood Life. Uh, I'm excited this week to have one of my oldest and closest friends on the podcast, Justin. Uh, we've known each other since we were 15 and freshmen in high school, and uh, so it's been a long time. And uh, I was really privileged for him to come on and be willing to open up and talk about you know, struggles with body image and messages that he received uh, at growing up about what it meant to be a man and, uh, and also like what we did or didn't really didn't receive from the church when it came to being a man and the messages received body image messages. And, and we also talk a little bit about how the church could do a better job. So uh, there's a lot of really good uh, nuggets of wisdom in this conversation. So I hope, hope that you do take the time to listen to this. And if you know somebody in your life that would benefit from hearing this conversation about male body image and manhood, then uh, please share it. And you can do that through our social media, uh, which is Facebook and Instagram at the Brood Life Podcast. Or you can uh, email it, you can text a link to somebody. You can, uh, you know, however you want to do it, uh, share that with the, somebody you think would benefit from this and then make sure whatever platform you're listening to, uh, whether that's Apple, Spotify, Google podcasts, whatever that is that you're using for your podcast, uh, just subscribe to the podcast and then leave a rating and a review. And that helps us out a lot. So, uh, thanks again for listening and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Justin. everybody welcome back to the brood life and i am excited to have my good friend justin with me on the podcast today and we're going to have a great conversation uh, about men and body image but before we get into that i'm just going to hand it over to him real quick and let him introduce himself to everybody hello uh i'm so <laughs> uh Grateful to be on the, on the podcast today. My name is Justin uh, Clark. Brandon and I have known each other um, since we were kids, actually. Uh, we grew up in the same church. Uh, our families had lots of run-ins together. And so uh, it's just it's super cool to be able to be together uh, and, and you know, just share stories with one another. So a um, little bit of history on me. I, um, I've been a part of the um, Association of Vineyard Churches, uh, which is, uh, you know, dates back to late seventies, eighties movement, church planting movement in the, mostly in the United States, but um, there are, you know, a few hundred churches across the globe. Um, and so my wife and Amanda and I have been a part of that for the last, uh, I want to say 16 years and um, 15 or so of those have been in fairly active ministry on a staff capacity or on a non-staff capacity lay, lay person. And uh, about six months ago, um, but well, about six years ago, we were part of planting a church that was pretty successful and grew quickly. And, uh, and then about a year ago, we were approached, um, Amanda was approached to candidate for a pastor, senior pastor job for a different vineyard that was in a neighboring city that was kind of in trouble. And, um, and we decided to take the job. And so about six months ago, we started that. And so, um, yeah, it's just been, uh, been, you know, pretty interesting ride, you know, the last several years of just 
growing and seeing different things happen. Uh, but, you know, particularly with like, um, you know, the, the issue of, of like women in ministry and men and women working together in a, in a, uh, uh, mutually beneficial and, um, I don't know, just life-giving way. That's been a huge part of our journey uh, that I'm super grateful for. Um, yeah, other than that, um, for uh, Amanda obviously works for the uh, church, so she that's her income. But I, uh, on you know, for my income, I I run a small um, video production uh, slash commercial photography company, and uh, I've been doing that for about um, seven and a half years or so, and I really enjoy that and. Oh, and I, and I play music. I really enjoy um, playing the guitar or the bass uh, and singing and writing music and worship leading. Uh, and I love to teach. That's another thing. Um, so that's kind of me in a nutshell. Um, I love Jesus. I, I love to work for the church. I, I love to help people and teach and, and lead worship. And, and I love art. And that's, that's kind of me in a nutshell. Awesome. Yeah. And for those that are listening, your wife was actually on the podcast uh, back in the fall, not too long after she accepted the position of lead pastor at the church. So uh, if you want to hear her story, you can go back and listen to that episode as well. And that journey about uh, going from point A to point B with uh, being a woman in the pastor in a lead pastor position. So, yeah. Awesome. So uh, we will kind of what got this rolling uh, is, so you were anonymously part of another podcast that we're talking about men and body image, but because I know you, I knew which who you were, uh, but, uh, and your wife uh, let the cat out of the bag and said that you were on the podcast as well. But uh, I remember I listened to that episode. Well, I listened to the episode before and then I listened to that episode as well of that of that particular podcast. And I just remember like it really resonating with me listening to these mm. guys' stories, uh, a lot of similarities uh, for myself. And I mean, and, and like you said, we've known each other for 25 years. And so I, I, I knew some of your own of your struggles and uh, as well. Uh, and so I, I because of that and because I feel like this is a topic that isn't talked about very often, uh, I reached out to you and asked you to come on and have a conversation about uh, men and body image and masculinity, I guess, because uh, those kind of go hand in hand in society anyway. So, um, you know, and like body image and men has always been an issue probably, but it's just never been spoken about. It's just kind of been kept as a secret you don't talk guys don't talk to each other about their bodies uh, uh in a serious way i should say uh and it's become but it's become more prevalent uh in recent times to talk more about it there's been more discussions about men dealing with body image and eating disorders and body dysmorphia uh stuff like that um so kind of like just to start off with like what messages did you kind of grow up with when it came to your own like body image and masculinity? Well, um, so yeah, I think, I think, um, 
I don't know. I, I, I think probably most young people probably get um, young men that is to say, you know, derive their you know, sort of body image stuff from their families maybe. And, but my dad was kind of like pretty absent for most of my childhood. Um, I, he was kind of a workaholic. I mean, we were poor. And so, I mean, he did, he was just doing what he thought was the best thing to do. I think at the time, just work as much as he could to try to, you know, pay the bills and stay ahead. But, um, that didn't really leave me with much of a, um, with much of a picture of what a man's supposed to be other than, you know, a man works, you know, and makes a living for, for his family. Um, and so you got to work hard, but, um, my relationship with my mom, I think kind of developed in some unhealthy ways, some healthy ways, but also some unhealthy ways in that since dad was never around and I was, um, you know, I kind of, I kind of became a bit of a, uh, I don't know, surrogate husband for her in some ways in that she, um, dad's absence, you know, from her life, she would, she would complain about it to me. And I think, um, and, and none of that, I think translated specifically into, into like my body, but, um, but it did develop this, you know, this sort of strong image of what a guy was supposed to be, you know, and all the ways that my dad was failing. I was hearing about it from, from my mom and, you know, and, and he's not, you know, he's, emotionally distant and unavailable and, and, uh, you know, he's doesn't seem to have a thought in his head. You know, she would complain about how she would ask him what he's thinking. And he's, he seems to be just a thousand miles away in his mind. And, you know, like they're driving in the car or something like that. And she'll be like, what are you thinking about? And his answer is always the same, nothing. And, and after a while, she literally just started to believe it. Like, yeah, he literally just doesn't have a thought in his head. And, you know, so on the one side, you know, I sort of had my mom um, trying to cultivate this anti-man in me, you know, yeah. all the things that, that were deficient in my dad that she, you know, his emotional distance, his, his reluctant, uh, reluctance to be vulnerable, his, um, you know, his workaholism, his never being around, his, uh, you know, his conviction about gender roles and that he's, you know, he's not going to do any stuff around the house. As soon as he comes home, he's just going straight to his room or whatever. You know, she was like wanting me not to be all those things, but also because she is older, my mom's 80 now, you know, so being raised by a woman in her fifties, 40, late forties, fifties, whatever. Um, you know, she did have these strong gender roles of like, you know, you've got to, you got to be strong. You got to, you know, if things are bad, you know, never let them see a sweat, you know, what she was, it was like, she was prepping me, trying to prep me for my future marriage. And it was all very weird anyway. So that's one end of the bookend. The other end of the bookend is like all the masculine culture that you see in your school and your classmates and, and the stuff that you see promoted on TV and all of that was like, this uber macho, you know, like all the boys at school, it was, everything was a contest. And, and, you know, if one kid did something and then all the other kids were obligated to do it bigger or they were lesser than, and, you know, and it was all about, you know, being stronger, being faster and, 
And I think what I learned from that, because I'm not a very, uh, I'm not a naturally violent person. You know, I love art and music and I love, you know, at that point in my life, I loved animals. I'm not so much an animal person anymore, but the thought of harming an animal to me was just unthinkable. You know, like I remember one time I ran over a frog with the lawnmower and I was just like in the yard, you know, as we had this huge yard and you just, you just zone out on the riding lawnmower for hours at a time, you know, and I ran over this frog and I was just devastated. Like I was crying when I was, you know, I, I, I hated violence and it was like this, all my classmates just had this, you know, the boys had this lust for violence and everything that, you know, was about breaking stuff and, and how, how, you know, destructive you could be. And, and I can think of times where the boys were, you know, would try to capture an animal and kill it, you know, or smash it with a log or something like that, or a rock or whatever. And I was like trying to stop them and then they would bully me for it. And, so I don't know. I think I think the message that I got from the one side was, don't be that. From my mom, mm-hmm. you know, like this that road leads to an unhappy marriage. But then on the other end of the bookend was, if you try to do this, you will be persecuted for it and bullied and beat up and, you know, have your glasses broken and basketballs thrown at your face and whatever, you know. Uh, to be knocked down and body slammed on the, on the playground. And, and I think, I think somewhere in the middle of all that, I just felt like um, whatever it was that I, I mean, cause you're an embodied person, you know, you're whatever your inclinations towards violence or towards empathy or, um, you know, emotional availability versus, you know, distance or whatever, whatever you are on that spectrum, you are in, in a body, you know, and when society's telling you your body's got to be this and, and your insides have got to be this and, and you find yourself in the wrong combination of those things, you know, I'm not, <laughs> yep. not big, I'm not strong, I'm not fast, I'm not particularly good looking, you know, I'm kind of short, I wasn't terribly athletic, and I didn't really have much of an ambition for that. And, um, but I, but I also was in with my mom, especially like, you know, I'm tackling these very adult issues with my mom and finding myself just not knowing what to say and, and not knowing how to, how to help or how to respond to her, you know, I now know kind of inappropriately adult conversations that she was having with me about her marriage. It's like, I don't know what to say with that. And I don't know what to do over here. And I, I think I just ended up feeling like, um, like I just wasn't good enough on any front. You know, I didn't have the answers for mom. I didn't have the answers for myself. I, I didn't have whatever it was that the boy that I was supposed to be in school, I, I was clearly not. And I don't know. I, I, the messages that I got from either of the parties, you know, about who I was supposed to be, I just found myself not measuring up and, um, and, and, and at least on the, on the schoolyard end of it, the not measuring up was like, it came with consequences, you yeah. know, violent ones. Yeah, no, like, I, I totally relate to that too. Cause I can remember, you know, uh, middle school, high school was a little bit better, but I mean, they were both pretty miserable. Uh, and 
but I remember like, because the uh, same thing, I'm not athletic. I never had ambition to be athletic, but there was always this pressure to, uh, even if I wasn't to have a desire to be so that like, at least there was something that I could do that would like help me to, uh, meet some sort of standard or to, uh, fit in, in a, in a, even if I, even if I wasn't like muscular and built and like have like lots of girlfriends, like at least I would have like athletic ability. Like there was always something. So I, you know, so there's, because like, uh, you know, and I don't know what high school's like now because we've been out of high school for over 20 years, but <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I can remember, uh, you know, just like there wasn't much in between for people to like find their own spaces. Like either you were like this version of masculinity and had this certain body type and met these certain standards or you didn't. And like, there was no, it was hard to find like your own identity and, and your own space if you didn't fit into like those specific standards. Yeah. Yeah. For, for me, it, I, I, I think I found like there were all these sub genres, um, within, within the school realm, like with hierarchies within them, yeah. you know, like if you were a band kid, for instance, like across the spectrum of the entire school, you were, you know, you were less cool, you know, right. less popular, but within the band, you know, if you're really a really good musician or if you're kind of winsome and, and kind of funny, you know, and you could make the other people laugh or, or if you're clever or whatever, you know, then you could be on the top of the heap in the band, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that, that was something, you know, yep. or, or like with theater or, uh, you know, the, 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 oh, the shop class or the building trades class or the, or the mechanics class or whatever it was like, you could, there was at least a, some sort of hierarchy that you could be in that wasn't, that was, insulated in some ways from the rest of the of the giant you know social schema but but i i again like i I don't know what it was like for you but um i didn't do any of that stuff like Mm -hmm. i wasn't in the band i i didn't do athletic i tried doing athletic things but my um like i did track and i did cross country and i liked them but i always got kicked out because my grades were so bad yeah (laughs) I would make it, you know, maybe half the season before my grades would catch up to me and then I would fail out and, and then that would be the end of it. And, you know, I didn't do shop and I didn't do, I didn't do any of those things. And so, you know, it, for those kids that are like that, that they're like, didn't, don't really have the confidence to be in and, and, oh man. And on top of that, like, um, probably, elementary school I want to say it was like maybe fourth or fifth grade um or no maybe third or fourth I can't remember I was pretty young they diagnosed me with like a dyslexia I think learning disability of some kind and at least in those days I'm pre- I'm pretty sure it's different now like once you're once you've got a label it follows you forever you know forever. Right. and yeah. so to my I mean all the way up through my high school career you know they would pull me out of every class for, for tests, you know, they'd pull you out of the class, make you go to this room where that, where like a person would read the test to you 
and like eliminate choices from the multiple choices to make it easier for you to pass. Uh, you know, and, and so I'm sitting in this room with this, you know, student leader or this para person and across the room is, you know, is like a person with severe emotional problems or, or autism or, or down syndrome or something like that. And, and I'm like, I, you know, I, any confidence that I might have that I could learn an instrument or that I could do, be a part of any one of these subcultures within the church or within the school, excuse me, that, uh, you know, that I, that would have a, a more accessible hierarchy, you know, it was like no confidence, whatever confidence I had was just tapped. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, I just need to get through this mess. <laughs> so like, so like thinking back and I, it probably happens. I know for me, but, uh, for most people, it probably happens like middle school or beginning of high school. Like when we, like, when did you like, or what did it look like for you to struggle with like body image issues? Oh, it's definitely middle school. Definitely. The, I think because, you know, you're kind of hitting puberty and, right. And, and you're starting to be aware, like it was just, I want to say like fifth grade that I, I, it was the most, I, I can remember the exact second where I realized that I was attracted to girls. <laughs> it was, it was in choir class. Uh, and my, I had a friend named Nick and, and the, uh, the, cl the class had got divided up. I don't know if it was boys and girls or whatever, but there was a group of kids that were, that were standing on the little bleacher thingies, you know, mm -hmm. and they were singing and it was, and me and Nick were standing with another group of kids, you know, on the other side of the room. And Nick like leaned over to me and he's like, man, Daniel is, don't you think Danielle is hot? And I mean, like I looked up at Danielle and, you know, like in the movies where it's like, oh, <laughs> the light comes down <laughs> tonight, you know, it must've been, it was, it was like that moment. I was like, yes, <laughs> she is. And, you know, like that was probably fifth grade. And, and so the, the idea that, the, that you are attracted to the opposite sex, which means that now, uh, I want to be attractive to them. I, I want them to be attracted to me. Like I am attracted to them. And then that, that just, it just sparks all of these, uh, you know, I don't know. Like, it's, it's just like, not necessarily problem solving, but trying to, trying to figure out the, to crack the, the code. Like, what do they like? What do they want to see? What, how do I want to behave? And um, in order to be attractive, you know, and, and for women to be, you know, for girls to want to be around me and to, to think I'm funny or to, you know, to think I'm, I'm handsome or whatever. And, and, and what should my hair look like? And what should my, you know, clothes look like? And then that just introduces all these different um, issues that relate to like how much money your family has, you know, maybe I can't afford the right clothes. And if I can't afford the right clothes, well then, you know, and if I can't afford my, you know, my mom cuts my hair, you know, cause who's who got the money to go get your hair cut by a person, you know? Yep. And, 
it, you know, how do I tell my mom to cut my hair so that, and my glasses, you know, I have glasses and I can't afford the cool kid glasses. And so if I can't do that, then how do I compensate for that in my shoes and, and, and my body, you know, like, and I can, yeah, I mean, it didn't take long. I don't even think I was in high school before, before I, I just, I hated my body so much because it was like, all I wanted to do was fit in and be attractive to the girls and, and to be accepted by the boys. And I didn't have the money for it to buy it. And I didn't have the, the looks to just naturally get it. And I didn't have the social skills to overcome my lack of money and my lack of good looks. And, and so all that added up to, oh, I'm never going to get the girl. I'm never going to, um, the boys are never going to accept me. And, um, and I, I hated it. I hated myself. Like I wanted to kill myself. Actually, that was probably, and this is, this is just, you know, really sad to think about it as a grown up. Now, um, that was the reason I think I decided I, I was going to pursue ministry with my, with my life was because I knew God would never approve of me killing myself. Like it was just never going to be okay with him. And I thought, well, if I can't kill myself, well, then I might as well sort of die in a figurative sense, you know, I'll just give my life for the kingdom, you know, <laughs> which made sense in my 15 year old mind. Uh, but really, yeah, I just, I just wanted to, I just wanted to get away from myself. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I relate to all of that. Um, yeah. I, I just like thinking back to, you know, cause I, it was a similar situation. Like my, my parent, like I grew up in a very, uh, poor house and, at home and, you know, making yeah, ends. Guys were, were definitely worse off than we were, I think. And making ends meet and, um, you know, and like, and when you're in middle school, high school, like you don't have the capacity necessarily to uh, see it for what it is. Like in your mind, it's like the worst case scenario. And, uh, you know, but looking back as an adult and with perspective, you know, you were able to see like, you know, my parents were doing the best they could just as a way that the way that it was. But when you are in the middle of middle school and high school and trying to fit into this hierarchy, social hierarchy. And, uh, like (laughs) it's, uh, it's the worst. And, but like, yeah, like the same, same thing. Like I, uh, yeah, I did like, I didn't, um, I like, I didn't like have any, I do. I feel like I didn't have anything to offer. So like, I didn't have the looks, I didn't have talent. I didn't have the athletic ability. Uh, so yeah, very, very similar. Um, and when you're uncomfortable in your skin already, it's like you, you automatically make other people feel uncomfortable because you're uncomfortable. Right. And it, and then that feeds back into your own discomfort. It's like this, this self-perpetuating, uh, awkwardness, you know, that, makes other people not want to be around you, which makes you feel even less adequate, you know? Yeah. I mean, and the, and, you know, you look back to, you know, when we were growing up in the nineties, like all we had to go by was what we saw in media, like whether it was television or music videos or magazines, like that's all we had to compare ourselves to. And yeah. 
like if you look at like whatever you know michael w smith or dc talk or in you know uh new newsboys like those were all pretty people you know yeah. like all the christian stars they were all pretty too yeah <laughs> like yeah where's where's the guy with the messed up teeth or the <laughs> guy or something you know like there's none of them they're all beautiful yeah yeah and so like i mean yeah and that's all we had to compare ourselves to and so like i like I, and like it's still like that now uh, I, I obviously there's a lot more awareness now than there was then but like it, like we were surrounded with uh you know examples that we were never ever going to be able to meet up to because it was you know we didn't have personal trainers we didn't have the money we didn't have the you know uh i didn't have the musical talent uh but um Well, and like speaking of Christian music, that that kind of brings up something else, which I mean, I kind of know the answer to this, but like, what do you feel that the, I mean, it's, I wish I could say it was, it's different now, but not necessarily different now, but uh, like, what were, do you feel like the church at like growing up, and we went to the same church in high school, obviously, but uh, do you ever feel like the church like addressed anything when it came to like body image or how we saw ourselves or masculinity um or and like i will start there like do you feel like that it was like ever talked about or addressed when we were growing up um i don't i don't know about specifically body image um like the you know like what what your what your body's supposed to I don't think the church did much to to alleviate any any pressures that I felt to look a particular way um, in order to fit in in society. But um, I mean, as you, as you experienced too, like we grew up really kind of in the height of the purity movement, um, which proved ultimately for most to be pretty damaging. And yeah. and I was like, I mean, I I went full bore. You know, I read the books and yep and you know, and felt all the pressures. And when Amanda and I did start dating, um, we dated for four years and, you know, we didn't, we didn't so much as hold hands for, you know, for that almost that entire period until about five months before our, our, our wedding day. And, uh, I don't regret that really at all. I mean, I think it, I think it helped us to get to know each other better, but, um, but there did seem to be this very consistent message that, um, that kind of demonized my sexual urges, you know? Yes. Yeah. And, um, which, you know, it, 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 it almost like, it almost like sought to, to like attribute your sexual urges to your body and then like separate you from your body. Like you need to fight against mm -hmm. your sexual urges, which are, you know, a natural part of your body. You know, it was, it was like, it was almost, it, it, the effect it had on me was basically it turned my body into an enemy in my battle for purity, for sexual purity. And so it, again, it's not, it's not as though they were explicitly trying to tell me that my body didn't look the way that it was supposed to look, but 
it certainly was um because i mean because who can i mean you're a freaking middle school or high school or whatever your hormones are just going through the roof and right <laughs> and everything anything and any everything that you might do to try to alleviate you know the um overwhelming feelings that you're having were all off limits i mean it was just so you just felt like a constant failure you know like if you i mean even if you didn't even if you didn't necessarily have an issue with like porn or or like lusting or whatever if you just masturbated like a normal boy even that just felt like oh i'm i'm the scum of the earth you know yeah just shame yeah shame heaped over shame over shame over shame and and so yeah, I mean that was the consistent message I think that I got was not necessarily about what my body was supposed to be, but more like um, how my body was was like you know offensive to God, you know, in the way that it desired and in the, in the way that um, it tempted me. It was like my own body was my evil, foul tempter that I kept constantly failing to and. And again, it just, it just fueled more hatred for my, for myself. Cause it felt like I'll, you know, as long as I'm in this body, I'm never going to be able to be what God wants me to be. And, you yeah. know, what the wants me to be. And, and if, if that's what, you know, yeah, I guess if that's what I'm aspiring to be to as a man, a biblical man or whatever, like, I don't think I'm going to make it, <laughs> you know, whatever I'm be, whatever I'm becoming, I'm it's, it doesn't seem like that's the trajectory that I'm on, you know? Yeah, no, I, and I, I agree. Like, you know, like you said, we, it was the height of the purity movement. It was, um, you know, when I got into college, uh, it was, uh, like every man's battle and, uh, oh, and then, which, uh, <laughs> now down the road, uh, I, I, can see how uh, not healthy that book was, uh, but Goodbye, that was another big one. Yeah, uh, and then uh, I remember you and I in high school went to a Promise Keepers. You remember going to Promise Keepers? Oh, yeah. yeah, and like that was the ultimate like example of manhood. Like I, I was I was a Christian male, I should say, and uh, but like even but even now like. I don't even know if the like if the church today is addressing body image in men or women in a healthy way and not like saying like you have to get up there on in the pulpit every Sunday and say like you know you don't have to worry about what your body looks like but like like if you look at the different uh conferences and stuff that that churches put on like there's it still kind of feeds into that stereotypical like masculinity like uh, you know we're going to have a barbecue we're going to you know watch these this sports or go to this professionals you know athletic game or we're going to you know chop things with axe like there's just like these like ultra testosterone and and filled masculine stuff where like i don't necessarily feel that i fit into those spaces and so sometimes I'll like force myself to go or, or to participate because, well, maybe I'll get something out of it, or maybe I'll, you know, connect with somebody there. And, uh, but I, I feel like 
you know, I, there was an, I think another episode of this, of the podcast and in the first season when I was talking to my friend Kirsch and we're talking about kind of the similar thing is like, why don't, why don't we like, it's okay to, to like do the car shows and do the sports and, and go to uh, museums or, or, in, uh, or like sports hall of fames. See, I'm really bad at, at yeah. that. Uh, but like, it's okay to do that, but why not also like celebrate uh the you know the guys who are artistic or have art shows or uh perform you know at open mic nights or uh you know write poetry or whatever it is but like have the same enthusiasm with all the men in the church showing up for those same things as they expect everybody to show up for these you know typical male experiences that are seem to be the primary thing that they provide to men in the church. If anything, it's gotten worse. Yeah. Um, like, I don't know about, uh, about, about you and Fort Wayne. Um, we're, we're about an hour apart from each other, but um, like in my neck of the woods on in, you know, um, you know, there are um, a, a really popular, really popular over the last 10 years or so, guys thing to do is called fight club um i don't know if it's a nationwide thing or not but is i participated in one yeah yeah mm-hmm. it's uh it's yet another you know hyper masculine thing it's got athletic challenges and you know if, if you want to do it you gotta you know the first night you show up at midnight some remote spot in the middle of the woods or something like that and and there's challenges and initiations and and these high high standards for you know um you know, scripture memorization, and it's all about fighting for your family and, and tons of warrior language. And it's very, uh, you know, I mean, it's, I, I guess it's, it's like, it means well in the sort of iron sharpen, iron sharpens iron type of uh, sense, but you know, you, it's like a three strikes and you're out. There's very little grace. It's, you know, yep. um, there's not really much of, you know, there's not really much of a emphasis on, um, you know, growing, I mean, there's an emphasis on growing spiritually. I think there's an emphasis on growing emotionally, at least in some sense, and, and then physically. And, but again, it's all being pumped through this, this very um, stereotypically masculine, um, you know, frame of thinking. And, and I never participated in it because I could see, I could see like from a mile away, like this is going to be freaking miserable. I don't want to yeah. You know, and men's conferences, you know, they're still, um, they're still very much, you know, what you're talking about with, you know, lots of meat, not really any vegetables and, and the, the activities, you know, like I can remember a, one I went to a couple of years ago up in Michigan, you know, there was a dude every morning that would get up and blow a ram's horn and, you know, uh, the game, the, the activities for the men involved gun shooting and, and, you know, some sort of athletic challenge and, you know, stuff like that. There was, there was nothing, nothing at all whatsoever for a person who, except for, I guess, like the times that we, that we just worship together. If, you know, if you were, you know, of, of an artistic, you know, bent or something like that, like you could get into the worship part of it or the teaching part of it, but that's pretty much it. You know, it hasn't changed at all. If anything, it's gotten worse. Yeah. And like, and I, and I don't necessarily want to like dog like those things because I think that there is a, 
there are men who gain something from those experiences. But when it's the only thing that is offered to all men, there are people like me and like you that have a hard time finding a place to get that same experience uh, when we don't get anything out of what they're trying to provide for us because it fits into this like box of what men and masculinity and what they think men enjoy doing and right yeah you know i mean we live in the midwest too so i think it's probably fair to (laughs) assume that sometimes but uh it's you know i mean when you you know i'm you know we're 40 years old now and and like i know I, i i'm 40 years old and i it's i still haven't been able to find in all this time like something like that where i feel like i connect and fit into yeah yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, I guess I want to say too, like, I don't want to put down those ministries because um, I, I was just a part of one actually this last weekend. I, I was invited to, um, to play music and, and lead some songs for, for a men's, a two day men's conference uh, here in Northern Indiana. And, and it was all the stuff. It was motorcycles everywhere and four wheelers and antlers and American flags. And, and uh, you know, that was, you know, that there was a car show, just like you said, I mean, and we had, you know, we had tacos and, and the, I mean, the food was fine. And, um, and we had worshiped together and had teachings and stuff and it was fine. It was totally fine. And the guys that were there, um, you know, the, the vast majority of them were the kind of guy that feels at home in those, right. among those things, you know, and, and they, as the teachings were going and as the worship was going, like I have, I mean, from the stage, you know, you've got this, this grand view of the whole crowd and these, you know, especially towards the beginning of the conference before they've had the fire hose of, you know, teaching for two days and they're like, brains are hitting overload and they're like just tired and want to go home. And, you know, at the beginning of it, they're like, you know, they're worshiping their hearts out and raising yeah. their hands and clapping and, and, and loving Jesus and, and the teachings they're, taking notes and taking pictures of the screens with, with their phone, you know, I mean, they're, they're doing everything that you would want any conference, you know, attendee to be doing in order to indicate that they're getting something out of it and taking something away from it. Um, but again, like what you're saying, I mean, it's for that particular type of man with that particular set of interests, you know, it's, they feel really at home, but if you're not that particular kind of man, yeah, you're kind of, um, you kind of left out in the cold. Yeah. And like, and I, th- I think a lot of times, you know, people in leadership of churches will say, well, if you don't see something for you, then go out and create it. And which I think that there is truth to that. But I think sometimes when you spend most of your life trying to create spaces to like fit into, it gets uh, exhausting to try to create those spaces. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I don't know. I, I, I vacillate on that because um, I feel like it's a bit of a self-perpetuating problem. You yeah. know, like if, if that's what it's been for so long, then that's what you think of when you think men's stuff. And so when you, when you're trying to find somebody who's going to organize a men's thing, you're going to be looking for a guy that's like that to, in order to create another event. That's like the, the type of event that you, you know, and then when, when that is the, 
you know, like I, I can tell you right now, if I, if I hosted a men's event at my church, I know exactly who will show up to it. And I know exactly who won't show up to it because everybody in the church already has a preconceived notion of what that men's event is going to be. And some of the guys like that. And some of the guys don't, and the yep. ones who like it, you know, the ones who are like me, you know, or have to have the wrong set of interests and don't, don't really like the chest beating masculinity, you know, like they're not going to show up. And, and that's, I mean, that's going to take a paradigm shift, you know, yeah. in order to, um, I mean, somebody, somebody has to do the work to go first, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, again, it's like, it's not like, I feel like we need to stop doing the types of men's events that we, we have been doing because those events are serving a certain type of man really well. Um, but I do feel like there's got to be some, like if we're waiting for, you know, the hunter, fisher, four-wheeler, motorcycle, muscle car guy to host an emotional, sensitive, artistic event, like we're going to be waiting forever. It's not going to happen. You know, that guy's not, he's not going to do it. Uh, it wouldn't even occur to him, you know if you tap if you try to task him to do that he would he'd probably tell you no i don't know how to do that you know yeah but there's got to be like i guess there's got to be a way that men like us can um there's there's the just creating events for men with different interests you know and and inviting those men to be a part of it um but there's got to be a way that we can we can talk to communicate with um the leaders who are creating because this is a self-perpetuating system at this point right you know, the the expectation for what the men's event is going to be generates the leaders the leaders generate the events the events generate the leaders etc cetera, etc cetera. so there's got to be a way i mean yes we could just say you know what we're just going to abandon that system altogether and we're just going to do our own thing over here and I think that's what you're talking about. It's just going to get exhausting over time. It's never going to really catch traction because you're never going right. to be able to get the institutional church behind it to get the megaphone of, you know, of the church's social media channels or the church or the stage or whatever. You're just trying to, you know, if we're, this is kind of like the problem of, well, the only way to beat the system is to beat it from within. You know, we have to collaborate with existing leaders and have conversations with guys that are not like us, try to explain you know, cause I know the guy, like the, the guy that hosted, that hosted the event that I just described that happened over this last weekend. I know the guy that, that runs it really well. He and I are good friends. I love him. He loves me. If I was to sit down with him and say, listen, man, um, this and this and this and this, how can we figure out a way to do other events, not necessarily try to get it all done in one type of event. You're not going to sure. please everybody you know, all at once in one event, it's just not going to happen. But what are ways that we can do other events hosted at, you know, like, Hey, let's, let's take a trip to an art museum. You know, let's, it's a, it's going to be a men's trip. We're going to go to an art museum. We're going to look at pictures and we're going to look at paintings and, and we're going to go to dinner afterward and we're going to come home. It's going to be fun, you know, or, or, Hey, we're going to go see a concert together. You know, it, we're going to see this band or we're going to, you know, we're going to go to the jazz festival. You know, there's one that happens every summer up in Elkhart. You know, let's go to the jazz festival together as men. You know, I'm sure some guys would show up, you know, yeah. and, but, 
something yeah. where we're where we're collaborating with the existing system to try to bump it in a different direction. Not necessarily a different direction, just a more multi multifaceted direction. I don't know. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no. A- yeah, like I think that it, it's finding a way to say, yes, we're doing this sort of like conference or whatever, but also like figuring out a way to communicate that this isn't the only way that masculinity is presented in the church. And so Mm -hmm. we have to like show how masculinity is not limited to what we've always done, but masculinity is a multifaceted thing that includes, you know, it can include car shows and shooting guns and, you know, eating contests or whatever, but it also can be, like you said, going to art museums and going to the jazz festival and going out for coffee with a friend and having conversations. Like there's no one specific way that masculinity is expressed within the body of Christ uh, because we all are created uh, differently. We're all individuals. To that end, you know, uh, (laughs) I, I think if you've got a pastor of the church that thinks that's what masculinity is and, and that's what it's always going to be. And these are the interests of a man and, and these are the qualities of a man. And, and, you know, you're probably going to be beating your head against the wall trying right. to do, do anything different. Um, so I guess maybe I'm just, I'm thinking out loud now, that might be actually the best, the best starting place is just to have a dialogue with the, the your pastor and, be like, Hey, this is the deficiencies I see. I'm not, I'm not saying we should stop doing any of the stuff we're doing, but, um, but these events that we're hosting are only really, you know, um, only really addressing the interests and needs of, of a certain few guys in the church. And they might be the majority, but you know, the minority is getting bigger and bigger all the time. And we're missing an opportunity here. And, you know, you can even point to the people like, Hey, these guys, you know, all these guys, they never show up to our men's events. Why do they never show up? You know, because mm-hmm. they, they don't like this stuff. They don't think this is what a man is. They don't, this is not who they are and they're men, you know? So what are they left to do? Well, they're not going to come to your stuff. So if, if, you know, a third of the guys in our church are not coming to our men's events, that means we need to do somewhat different kinds of men's events. Is that something you're interested in? And that, and how can we do that in a way that's going to keep, those that group of men headed in the same direction as everybody else in the church moving towards their vision and our goals and what God has called us to do. What, you know, and and this kind of goes with like men and, and men's ministry, because I think that this is something that could be easily cultivated within the church if it's done the right way, but how, do we start like breaking down that stigma and that uh, perception that we have as men and like come to a place where we can like talk about our, like our bodies and our body image and how we feel about our bodies and how we feel about ourselves and how we look and how, you know, like just being more vulnerable because the fact is that all guys struggle with this in one way or another. We just don't talk about it and so we internalize it and it just kind of sits in there and festers and uh becomes a bigger issue because we're not 
dialoguing with each other about it because you know that's one of the things that you know i'm sure you have learned but i've learned in my own life i was like once you start talking about things and getting things out in the open like you learn that like it's not just you that it deals with this particular issue or or you struggle yeah. with it and uh so like what do you think are some ways that we can start like you know breaking down those walls and and that stigma around body image and guys talking about how they feel about how they look and uh you know and and maybe just a little bit more vulnerability in our relationships with each other right 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 uh well you know uh it's a bit of a it's i mean you're already working at it with an uphill battle because i mean how a man feels about his body and is it um in the same category as I mean, how a man feels about anything. Um, men are, aren't really given permission to, to talk about their mm. uh, emotions. They're not really given permission to have a human experience. Uh, the only emotions that men are really um, socially permitted to experience or to express is really anger. Um, beyond that, it's, it's kind of demasculating, emasculating to have any other emotions. So I think the most natural starting point um, again, this is just in my opinion, I'm not by any means any kind of expert other than just having been a man for a while. Um, I think we need to to root um, root men's masculinity in something that isn't so fragile. Mm. Um, masculinity in today's culture is something that has to be earned, which is to say that it's something that can be lost. Um, and then, you know, you're, you know, the earning and the losing comes with all of these, any any number of, of masculine qualifiers or disqualifiers, you know, you've got the way that you behave, the, the way that you talk, your mannerisms, your, your interests, your food preferences, your, uh, you know, your conversation style, your, uh, the way you move your body, the shape of your body, whether or not you've got, you know, if you're, if you happen to have a big hips that look like a woman, or if you've got man boobs or whatever, you know, there's all these things act as, as either masculine qualifiers or disqualifiers, um, which of course create all these sort of emotional positive responses or negative responses that yep. again, if you try to express them, well, then that's a, a, a masculine disqualifier, which pushes you again in the wrong direction. If you're, if you're already being disqualified, well, then you can't be disqualified even more by inviting more disqualifiers. So I think, I think the natural starting point is to again, root, root masculinity or manhood in something that's firmer. And so, and that's not hard to do at all, especially with the Bible. Um, you know, you've got Genesis one and two, you know, you've got these two parallel accounts of creation. And in both accounts, you know, the man is created in God's image, the men and the women both are created in God's image. And, you know, before the man uh, really does anything, especially in chapter two, um, you know, before the man meets Eve, before he has sex, before he's a father, before he's married, before he accomplishes literally anything in the world, um, he is called a man by God, uh, made in God's image, and and he said God has called him good. Um, and so, if there's if there's any any affirmation over the man's manhood that needs to be had, it's already had. You know, at, at the moment yeah. of before anything is accomplished, he's a man, and, and in God's eyes, he's good. So whatever happens after that, it's like, I mean, I think we have to at least establish in some sense that um, the th 
of course we live in a Genesis three world, you know, where sin has entered the world and everything's broken relationship between God and people is broken relationship between men and women and men and men, you know, is broken and, and, and scarcity and, and, um, competition have replaced, you know, the abundance of perfection in the garden. Um, so now we live, we live in a, a, in a culture of scarcity where, you know, one man's gain is my loss. It's a zero sum game. And so if we, if we're going to do any, if we're going to make any steps in the right direction, I think we need to root, root manhood back in made in God's image, which is not affected by the fall. You are still made in God's image and God still yeah. says you're good. The man part is accomplished. You know, there's nothing you can do to add to it or take away from it. Uh, you are a man, period. God said you're good. The end. The only thing that was lost in the fall is your likeness to God. Uh, you know, the, the made in the image part that to the degree that you uh, look more like Jesus is the degree you're becoming more human, um, you know, or less human if you look less and less like God. And so if we're going to be if we're developing into anything or striving to become anything in this life, it's to be more like Jesus. Um, and that frees men up, I think, to be a, a fuller expression of humanity. Uh, because, I mean, the way that we expect men to behave now is profoundly dehumanizing. I mean, we're yes. expecting to live these disembodied, unemotional, um, unempathetic. We, do, we don't give men any compassion in their pain we expect them to live like these emotionless robots. And, and then, you know, when they fail to do so, they don't receive any empathy. And the only emotional management tools are given by society is anger and violence. And so, and then we act surprised when men are angry and violent, you know, yep. uh, and murder people or kill themselves at three or four times the rate that women do. Um, so I think we got to start there. And I just, again, again, in my opinion, we got to root masculinity and root manhood and, and just being made a man in God's image. And there's nothing you can do to add or take away from it. You're a man. God says it's good. And that's the end of it. Uh, the thing that you're striving for is to be more like Jesus, to be, to participate in Christ's sacrificial death and resurrection, which was meant to make you right with God again, uh, to participate in that by surrendering to the transformational process that we find in you know, um, oh gosh, scriptures, I want to say like, I think it's first Corinthians. No, I might be wrong. You know, like the sort of we with unveiled face, you know, mm. yeah. um, contemplate the Lord's, uh, the Lord as, as we're being transformed into the image of Jesus from one degree of glory to the next, you know, just surrendering to that process of, of being transformed into the image of Jesus from one degree of glory to the next. And, step by step moving closer because if if that's what we're after well then that frees us up to be emotional beings again because christ displays the full range of emotions he's empathetic he's compassionate he's kind he's also very assertive extremely confrontational he never shies away from telling the truth he has courage so everything that everything that men want men to be jesus is but he is also you know he he's never going to He's never going to, you know, back down from the Jewish uh, temple leaders who are taking advantage of the people and promoting a corrupt system that's harming the very people that they're supposed to be serving in order to hoard power and wealth to themselves and influence. You know, he's, he's absolutely never, 
ever going to um, be silent in the face of that. You know, when he encounters a corrupt system of, of, uh, of temple management and worship in, in a temple that is in fact, by their own partnership with Herod, been transformed into sort of a bastardized version of the God's design for the temple that's been made over in the image of Herod. When he sees that, I mean, tables are going over like, no, right. not my, this is not my father's house. This is not how my father's house works. You know, so you, in Jesus, you see that a fuller picture, like you see a picture of a, of a man who is, um, who is an activist, but he's also a nonviolent activist. And mm. he is also a compassionate, kind person who sees the broken, who steps out of his way for the people who are not worth his time, you know, the demonized, the, you know, you think about the guys, uh, um, oh, the guys in John, you know, the two demonized guys that come out of the graves, you know, and, and they're begging, you know, Jesus to let the demons go into the pigs or whatever. And like, these are murderers. They're the scum of the earth. They're so violent and depraved that nobody in their entire community will even go through there because they're so feared. And, and Jesus literally goes out of his way, far out of his way to set these men free. You know, like the woman at the well, another great example, Samaritan woman. Um, Samaritan all by itself would have been enough for Jesus to avoid her. And, and he didn't, you know, he spent time with her. He forced his disciples to stay in her village for two days, eating from Samaritan plates and sleeping on Samaritan houses on Samaritan beds. You know, they're the scum of the earth. And Jesus insists, no, these people are not. They are beautiful and valuable. And not only is this woman who is the scum of the earth and the scum of the town with that is within the scum of the earth, you know, not only is she important enough to spend an afternoon with, but she's important enough to, to send into town, to be the herald of the Messiah, you know, to yeah. tell all of the townspeople, Hey, I've met a man who told me everything I ever did. Um, so in Jesus, if, if our masculinity is not and there's no need to qualify it, you know, it's we're men and that's it. You know, God said, we're good made in the image of God. And, and so that's taken care of. The only thing that's left is to, um, to just surrender to the transformational process into the image of Jesus. And that looks like, yes, being an activist. Uh, it looks like being confrontational when the time is appropriate, but it also looks like being compassionate and kind and listening and being empathetic and entering into the pain of others. Uh, you know, with Lazarus and, and Mary and Martha, for instance, Lazarus has died and, and Jesus goes, you know, to, to see them. And he, what, what does he do upon seeing them? He is deeply angered. Um, he's deeply troubled and he weeps, you know, and these are the exact emotions of, of people who have lost a loved one tragically to a sickness before his time. They're, they're mad and they're, and they're deeply troubled and they're weeping and wailing. And so Christ enters exactly into their experience. He's weeping, he's wailing. His entire incarnation is an expression of empathy. I mean, Jesus knows what you're going through as a human because he deliberately entered into humanity, setting his divinity aside, you know? Uh, so I, I think 
I, I, that's a really long way of just saying, I think, I think if we root our masculinity in something that is indestructible, i.e. God's image, then that frees us up to work on the part of ourselves that actually has been damaged, that actually does need to be recovered, which is our likeness to Christ. And our likeness to Christ increases in a myriad ways. Uh, not just courage, which, you know, is part of the masculine, uh, the stereotypical masculine thing is courage and strength. Don't be afraid, you know? Yeah, all that is in Jesus, do that. But also have empathy and profound grace. Give forgiveness, give dignity, give honor, charity to people who don't deserve it because that's what Christ did. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. No, that's perfect. Yeah. I, and I think that, uh, yeah, uh, I think that uh, that's a perfect depiction of who Jesus was. And we've kind of moved away from who of the Jesus of the Bible and the American church and like getting back to that biblical uh, New Testament interpretation of who Jesus was and is and rooting our masculinity and how Jesus presented himself as a man uh, will kind of like, yeah, like it, it kind of takes away all of that need to meet these expectations that are difficult for everybody to meet when the only thing we have to do is be like Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I also think that, I mean, I, I know we probably need to wrap it up. I don't know how long this podcast usually goes, but, um, but I think that also frees up men to just have the interests that they have. Yes. I mean, if you like hunting and fishing, that's awesome. You know, if you like riding motorcycles, that's great. If you like, uh, you know, painting pictures or, you know, or designing architecture or, you know, if you like farming and gardening and, you know, I mean, none of them is more or less manly than the other. You can't add or take away from your, your manhood. It's just a part of you and God made it and it's good. And so if you are in your man's body, that's the thing. Like, you know, if, if your aspiration is to be like Jesus with that, that comes with all of you, it comes with your body, you know, so you're, you're becoming like Jesus here. Uh, let's take for instance, empathy or something like that. Um, or, on the opposite end of it, activism, if we're going to call it that. You are an activist on behalf of Christ in your body, uh, in your culture, with your interests, uh, in your time, in your, um, you know, your geographic area, uh, with all of your strengths and weaknesses. It, it, you're becoming like Christ in a package. And the package doesn't have to be like homogeny is no part of the kingdom of God at all. Yes. Like yeah. if you, if you look forward to like the images we see in revelation of, of God's kingdom being consummated, you don't see an image of all people, you know, over time, the same, it says every tribe and tongue and nation and language, their nationalities are intact. <laughs> you right. know, the languages are intact. Their cultures are intact you know, Christ's aim is not to uh, eliminate diversity and create everybody to be like, like-minded and like-bodied and like-interests. 
id. Um, he is interested in diversity being united under Christ, you know, moving toward God's unshakable kingdom. Um, so you in your body, in your context, with your interests, in your time, you know, uh, becoming like Jesus is, is a valuable piece of diversity that is yet another of billions of facets of God's character, you know, that we represent in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, just to wrap things up, uh, so I, uh, asked the same question to everybody who comes on the podcast because it is called the brood life. Uh, when you go out, uh, with friends or meet somebody for coffee, what is your drink of choice? Oh goodness. Um, you know, I, um, I, I don't do as much dairy as I used to. I used to be a hardcore latte guy. And I find that the dairy is just kind of more as I get older is a little bit rougher on my tummy. Um, so I would typically do an Americano probably. Um, and I would probably tell like, if it's like a, if it's like a small, medium or large situation, I would usually go for the smaller one, but give me the whole shot, (laughs) (laughs) not the half shot. I like it. I like, uh, the strong taste. Um, I don't like it to be very watery. So yeah, probably that I like if they don't, depending on the place, cause I usually know like what places in town, if I've been going to a while, there for a while, I know like is the, if the drip coffee is going to be actually better than the Americano, just cause mm-hmm. they don't have a very good shot. Um, if, if by chance they happen to have, um, an AeroPress, I'll ask for an AeroPress. Those are bad to the bone. Um, I don't like okay it's it's just an overpriced drip coffee in my opinion but that's true. <laughs> that you can make at home so yeah, i can make it home exactly yeah. <laughs> awesome well uh thanks for coming on i appreciate it i appreciate you and uh thankful for you and uh, thankful that you were willing to come on and be open and honest and share yourself so thank, yeah, you. thank you for having me and thank you for just the work that you're doing on this podcast. This is, I'm sure, a lot of time out of your day and a lot of effort. And uh, I think it's, I think the world needs it and it's worth it. So thank you. Thanks.